This morning's reading is taken from John uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So we left Judea and we went back once more to Galilee. Now he's had, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sicar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with me as this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who delivers, who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man now you you have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you know, what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is coming from Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the fathers seek. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. If you're someone who looks ahead and works out what we're doing, you'll realise that this wasn't the passage we were going to be looking at today. You may not be aware of that at all, in which case I didn't need to tell you that. Thursday evening I was supposed to be speaking at a women's event in Guildford um, on this passage. Well, I chose this passage to speak on, and the event was cancelled. But I've spent so much time this week with this passage that I felt that actually God was saying a lot to me through it. 
And I felt that he was speaking to us as a church through it as well. So I decided to um, amend what we were going to do today and to not give the talk I was going to give on Thursday night, but to, to use this passage that I've been sitting with and to reflect on what I felt God was saying to us. And I feel that it's following on quite strongly from a lot of the sermons that we've been having over the last few weeks It feels as if this has been quite a powerful time as a church. That as we have looked at these different characters through scripture and thought about their journeys of faith and how their journeys resonate with our journeys, I really feel God has been speaking and has been moving amongst us. And we mustn't ever take that for granted. Because when God speaks, that is something powerful and something mighty. And I think we need to tune in more rather than say, great, that's that sermon, another one done, move on to the next one. I think we sometimes need to sit with where God is and with what he is saying to us. So that's been part of my wrestle this week. Was this just a convenient way of not having to write another talk? Or was it actually listening and tuning in to God and thinking, yes, actually, this is building on what he's already been saying to us and developing that a bit further. So I might be wrong, but I think that was what God was saying to me this week. So we're going to look at this wonderful passage of the woman at the well. But we're not going to look at it in the way that we usually do because normally the themes that we pull out from this passage are about the living water, about the water that that Jesus offers and these beautiful verses about how he is the living water and how he comes to give us life, life in all its fullness. And that's reflected throughout this passage. What I want to look at are Jesus and the woman. And I want to look at what is going on for them in this particular encounter. What does it mean for them to meet and what is happening? And I think there are two things that are very, very closely linked. Firstly, they're willing to be vulnerable. And secondly, they're willing to take risks. And the two go hand in hand. And if you'd been at Encounter when we watched Brenny Brown, you would have seen that whole connection with our ability to recognise vulnerability leading to the possibilities of risk-taking. Unless we can be vulnerable, we can stay stuck And we don't experience the wideness of all that God has for us. And as Jesus says, I will repeat it again, I've come. I've come that you might have life. Life in all its fullness. But that life doesn't come as an easy package. If only it did. It comes with us recognising who we are. Opening up and acknowledging who we are. And stepping out into that place of who we are into new places and it happened for the woman but actually we can see in Jesus that he is modeling how we need to be so there are three aspects that I want us to look at moving out of our comfort zones being honest about who we are and taking risks so can I have the first picture up moving out of our comfort zone we hate to do. 
moving out of our comfort zone, for most of us, not for everybody, because some people love this, but for most of us, moving from our comfort zone is terrifying. We'd rather stay where we are than move into a place where we feel uncomfortable because we resist all those feelings of discomfort, particularly in today's society, where we can be comfortable all the time. And we can choose to stay in that place of comfort. And the more comfortable we feel, the more difficult it is to move out of that place of comfort into a place that causes us those feelings of anxiety, of discomfort, of just feeling... I can't do that. So how is Jesus moving out of his comfort zone? He's walking through a place that Jews never go to. He is walking through a place where no Jewish man would wander. I certainly would not sit. If the Jews had to go through Samaria, they would have done it quickly and got out the other side as soon as possible. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I said I'd spent three days of the previous week in Northern Ireland. And in Belfast, there are still peace walls. And there are still gates that close at nine o'clock at night to separate areas, to separate that space between Protestants and Catholics for safety reasons. And standing there in a Catholic area and then wandering through a gate to a Protestant area, I felt the difference in culture dramatically. I didn't feel unsafe because I wasn't belonging to either of those tribes. But it made me realise a little bit about what this story is telling us about. Again, we read our Bibles with rose-tinted spectacles Now, Jesus was wandering through Samaria. He came and sat down at a well. He is a Catholic walking into a Protestant area and not rushing, but lingering. He is in the Middle East and going from one side into another and not stopping to linger. He is going somewhere dangerous, somewhere that all his fellow Jews would disapprove of, and he's choosing to stop and to sit. If that is not moving out of your comfort zone, I don't know what is. So Jesus models, firstly, what to do. Our woman comes along. She is desperately out of her comfort zone. How do we know that? Because she's going to the well at midday on her own. The pattern would be that the woman would get up early in the morning and would go as a cry to the well and collect all the water they needed for the day and take it back to the village, where they would stay out of the sun until the cool of the day and go back to the well to collect more water and take it back to the village. No woman goes out in the middle of the day on her own in the heat of the sun. She is in a place of discomfort for reasons that we assume are because she can't be with the crowd of other women. She would be uncomfortable to be with them 
but she is equally uncomfortable coming out on her own at the heat of the day when she should be in the shade. And Jesus speaks to her. A man speaks to her. Again, let's remember the culture of the day. If a man was to speak to a woman, it would have probably meant just one thing. That easy conversations we can have between men and women didn't happen in that day. And so she is approached by this man who she realises is a Jew and is the enemy. She's really out of her comfort zone here. And this man asks her for a cup of water. It wasn't what she was expecting him to ask for. But all the cultural sensitivities about giving him a cup of water, the vessel that she would give him would be unclean in his sight. Jews would never drink from the same vessel because the Samaritans were unclean. And all the rules and regulations about being kept pure and clean as a Jew, this was completely thrown down, all of that. What if she was seen? What if word got back to the village that she was fraternising with the enemy? She's hugely out of her comfort zone. And yet, she gives Jesus the cup of water. So both Jesus and the woman step out of their comfort zones and meet. Hold that thought. If neither of them was willing to move out of their comfort zone, they would never have met. Do we step out of that place of comfort and allow God to create amazing opportunities that we would never see unless we could do that? That's a huge challenge. Because I like to be comfortable. I like to feel safe. I like to feel secure. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want my head to be messed with. That was the language I used last Sunday. Because it's not easy. And everything about my culture here says, make life as easy as possible. That's what we're encouraged to do. Make life as easy as possible. Stepping out of my comfort zone demands initiative on my part because it's far easier to stay comfortable than to move into those places I can almost feel it round my back it's not nice it's horrible who are we? what on earth is going to happen? it is not nice but what do we miss if we don't step out of where we're safe uncomfortable to a place where God might do something amazing. Picture one, stepping out of our comfort zone. Picture two, being honest about who we are. That's vulnerable, isn't it? Let's have a look at the picture. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken and no one else is qualified. The wisdom of Winnie the Pooh. Be yourself. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But can we truly be honest about who we are? Let's look at Jesus. This is very early in his ministry. 
A lot of the other gospel readings, we hear him trying to hide from being public about who he is. You know, the story of, of the water into wine at Cana, he says to his mother that the time isn't right. He performs some healings and says to people, don't tell anybody. Because there's something about that public acknowledgement of his ministry that will take things into a different direction. And so we have a sense in many of the Gospel readings that there's a delay in making that public acknowledgement of who he is. And yet, in this private meeting, Jesus is completely honest about who he is. How do we know? We know about what he talks about. All he was doing was asking for a cup of water. He could have left it there. He could have received the cup of water, quenched his thirst, and carried on his way. But no. He immediately starts answering the questions of the Samaritan woman. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? He doesn't say, well, nobody's watching. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Straight away, he's saying, if you really knew who I am, you wouldn't even be asking the question. Public declaration, straight out there. I am the Son of God. He's not hiding from who he is. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst He talks about worship. He talks about true worship. All the language that he uses is putting big arrows back to him that says, this is who I am. And when you think how long it took for others to truly understand who he was, he's completely up front in this encounter with this woman. Look at me. This is who I am. He's completely honest about who he is. And our woman, what is the last thing she wants? The last thing in the world that she wants is to be known who she truly is. Because she's had a really bad life. And that's what she's running from, we assume. That is why she's out there on her own. Because her life doesn't match with what is expected of her. And she's out there on her own at midday Because she's ashamed, she's embarrassed, she's ostracized. The last thing she wants is another person to know about her life. So she doesn't want to be honest about who she is. And Jesus says to her, go and call your husband. And she's truthful, I have no husband. Half truth. And Jesus says, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. My goodness me, the last thing she wants is the mirror to be held up to her and for somebody else to know exactly who she is. But what happens in that encounter? The worst happens and she is not faced with rejection, but she experiences love and acceptance. And how do we know that? Because if we'd carried on through the chapter, later she runs back to the village and she says to the villagers, come and meet the man who knows everything about me. 
If she was ashamed of who she was, she would have said, come and meet the man who offers this amazing water, who speaks about worship, who has an aura about him. But she says, come and meet the man who knows everything about me. No longer is there shame. She has met love and acceptance in who she truly is. She can look at Jesus in the face and be who she honestly is and finds love and acceptance and freedom to be who she is. Don't you long for that? Don't you long to be free in who you truly are? Because in our heads we know that we meet love and acceptance and yet we hide. We hide from God, we hide from Jesus and more than anything else we hide from one another. Because I don't want you to know my areas that I'm ashamed of. I don't particularly want you to know my weaknesses either. Because I need to stand up here Sunday by Sunday. And actually you form opinions of me that I may or may not like. And that's risky enough without telling you what I really don't want you to know. (laughs) Because we don't love and accept one another. And maybe that's why we're not free. Because we know the judgment and the thoughts and the looks, or we fear those. Usually when we are honest about who we are, we find that they're not there. But again, our culture is one of judgment where failure is a weakness and where it's really hard to make mistakes. I always feel for our guys on the sound and vision desk because I think that sums up how we are in our society. That when, they, when everything goes well, we don't notice that they're there. We only notice they're there when something goes wrong. And that's really hard, isn't it? We notice when it goes wrong rather than when it goes well. What culture are we living in? Where we're more aware of the failures and the mistakes and we're quick to point those out than to notice the good that we see around us. No wonder I don't want to stand here and be completely honest. I do pretty well about being honest. But I hide a lot as well. But I long to be honest about who I am when I see Jesus face to face. Because I long for that total love and acceptance. That embrace of his that says, no matter what you have done, you're my precious child and I love you. And I know it in my head, but I don't always live it in my life. I do know it in my life. And more and more I grow into that. And that should be my journey of faith. To grow into that place of total honesty, of total vulnerability, knowing that my loving Heavenly Father embraces me. And if I know my Father embraces me, we should be building a church where we can be honest with each other and love and accept one another. And what does that allow? It allows us to be far better at our pastoral care. If I could raise my hand and say, you know, I'm really struggling with work. I'm not quite getting my my stuff in on time. I'm really worried that perhaps at some point my boss is going to find out. If I raise my hand early enough, 
I might get some friends to support me. If I could say, I'm really struggling with my children, but I'm embarrassed to do that. I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, I've longed for these precious children and not getting any sleep and life's tough because it makes me look terrible. But if I could, I might get an understanding ear and someone who'd say, we've all been there, it's okay. If I could say, my husband and I are really struggling, if I could say it early enough, we might get some help and support to mean it doesn't get to the end degree where there is no future. We could start before it's too late at being honest in our pastoral situations how much better we could care and love and support one another. If we could be honest about who we are, we could be strong in our gifts because I wouldn't be thinking the only people in these church that are important are the ones who can speak at the front. We would all recognise that God has a calling for each and every one of us. And it may not even be in this church, it may be out in the workplace, more so in the workplace in this church. We should be acknowledging the gifts of our people, wherever they are, and not honouring those who happen to wear dog collars because they're the ones that are really the ones who have a calling. If we could be honest about who we are and what God is asking of us, we would be lights in our world that God longs for us to be. And yet as a church we get it so wrong. So, so wrong. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that as a church we get it so wrong. We need to be honest with each other about who we are in a place of love and acceptance. And until we can trust that love and acceptance, we will never step out. And if we can't accept who we are with one another or with God, the last person to accept that is ourselves. We need to know it's okay to be who we are. Yes, God is doing a work in us. But our biggest critics are ourselves. And living with that sense of shame of who I am or wish that I was somebody else is the most debilitating thing that we could ever be. Jesus longs for us to be honest about who we truly are. We can only be ourselves. And my final picture. We need to take risks. What if I fall? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? And that's our dilemma. Because if we take a risk, it might go horribly wrong. But if we take the risk, it might go beautifully well. And if I don't take that risk, I never experience the opportunity of flying. Jesus took a massive risk in this episode. He ran the risk of being caught. He was already on a trajectory that was leading to him falling out with the authorities, leading to his crucifixion. And this was adding another piece to that. He ran the risk of his reputation being damaged, of his ministry being curtailed, if he'd been found out at that point. Bigger risk was amongst his disciples. He'd gathered these people around him. And here he was doing something that they would never understand. He ran the risk of them saying, for heaven's sake, you've called me away from my fishing, from my family and my home, and here you are talking to a Samaritan woman. That's it, I'm off. 
He took a massive risk in what he did. If he hadn't taken that risk, that woman would never have been one of the first witnesses in Scripture, evangelizing to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And that was the journey that Jesus was on. He'd come, life in all its fullness for all, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slave free. And this is the first part of it. It was worth the risk, but it was a risk. And our woman, she could have seen Jesus and turned away and walked back to the village and come back a later time. She could have gone back without the water, put up with whatever problem that caused, but come back later in the day. But she chose to engage with Jesus. And that was a massive risk for her. Look what her life was already like. She couldn't even go out with the woman already. Maybe she had nothing to lose. Maybe that's what she reckoned. But life could have got even harder for her. But she took the risk of sitting and talking with Jesus. But she took a bigger risk. She could have let the conversation stay at a completely superficial level. Here's a challenge, isn't it? We're really good at those superficial conversations. She chose to let it go deeper. Jesus gave her the opportunity, but she didn't need to rise to that. She could just have said, I don't understand what you're talking about, this water. Here you are. Nice to see you. Bye. But she took his prompts, and she took the risk of letting that conversation go beyond the superficial to going deeper, where she would be vulnerable about who she was. She had a lot to hide. And she took the risk of, Jesus already knew, she didn't know that, but she took the risk of being there in that place where he would find out more about her, allowing that conversation to go deeper. She then took a risk by going back to her village. An amazing experience, face to face with the living Christ. Of course she rushes back to her village. Again, that's a massive risk. And we read it knowing the outcome. It was all good and they all came back and want to meet Jesus as well. But it might not have been like that. If we knew the end of the story, we would take risks. If I had the crystal ball, I knew if I do this, this and this, then that will happen. That's, that's not taking a risk. We've got to take the risk not knowing what the outcome is. She runs back to her village where she's ostracized. and says, come. Come and meet the man who knows everything about me. Come with me. And they do. They come. And they encounter Jesus. And they have life-transforming experiences face-to-face with a living Christ. Why won't I take risks? Because I'm terrified of falling. Because I know if I step out, it might go horribly wrong. And there's embarrassment, there's shame, there's disappointment back to the comfort zone isn't it but if I don't take that risk I shut down the opportunity of flying I want to fly I want to fly in my faith I want to fly with Jesus I believe that he has come to bring life in all its fullness And I want to experience that in my life and I want to see it in the life of this church and I want to see it in the life of the people around me. 
But that involves me taking risks. Am I willing to do that? I really don't know what God is saying. I don't think he's saying, right, you're all off on a risky journey. I think he's asking us some much deeper questions. I think he's asking us much deeper questions about our own relationship with him, about how safe we make that. Do we want to be challenged by some theological conundrums or do we just shut that part down? Do we want to be challenged about where God is at work in our world or is that too difficult? Do we want to be challenged about who we are and who we are becoming and what God is asking of us? Because that might involve a little bit of work and giving up some of the things that we like doing. I don't know. I know roughly what he's saying to me at this moment in time. But I don't know what he's saying to you. But I did sense this week that he said, this is a passage that you have been sitting with all week. And I think it's for Wanish as well as for Guildford. And so I share it with you as a risk because you might go away and think, nice sermon, vicar, and go home to your lives. But you might go home and say, that was a bit sore. That touched a nerve. And I hope that's the case. I hope God is touching some nerves. I don't care what they are because that's between you and God. But when he touches a nerve, he's saying, I'm here. And I want to do a work in you. I want to do it with you, and I do love you. And yes, it might be taking you out of your comfort zone. Yes, it might be needing you to acknowledge something about yourselves you'd rather not. And yes, it might involve a risk. But I'm here, and my arms are around you. And we do it together. I don't throw you out on your own, but I walk with you. And I am there with you all the time. And I want us to be a church of individuals that will take those risks so that we can fly. And as we do that as individuals, so we become a body that does that. So that when our PCC meets next week, we sit with that attitude of willingness to step out into the unknown beyond what we can actually sort ourselves where we need to trust on God on our knees and call upon him to do the work that he wants to do amongst us but we need to start with ourselves so if God is just pushing a little button and making you feel a little bit uncomfortable recognise that that is God that he's whispering, I'm here. Not to make you feel guilty, but because I love you. Because you're all my precious children. And I long for more for you. And I long to just take you into places that you've never been before. To see views you've never seen before. To share experiences that will reassure you that I am God. Lord and Sovereign of all, that you might walk day by day knowing that I am with you. Don't hold back from me. Don't make it safe. But let me come alongside you and take you to new places. Amen.